Um, so we are in the second week of this series called Enlarge Your World. Everyone say enlarge your world. Enlarge your world. Who knew it that being generous would enlarge your world? I mean, it's opposite. We think, I need to keep what I have. I need to keep it to me. It's all mine. Oh, mine, mine, precious. Um, it's mine. And I'm going to somehow enlarge my world by keeping what I have. But actually, it's, it's topsy-turvy. It's the other way around. The more generous we are, the more we enlarge our world the more we enlarge the lives of other people. And, we, and so last week we looked at how a, a principle that will enlarge your world is the power of generosity. But what I want to talk about tonight is a key to releasing <clears throat> a miracle in your life. A key to seeing the miracle in your life is through our sacrifice. Everyone say the word sacrifice. <clears throat> sacrifice. And so what I want to have a look at tonight is look at the life of David and how he saw a miracle released in his life. Thank you, my amazing. How he saw a miracle released in his life on the back of his sacrificial offering to God. And so we're going to find this in 1 Chronicles chapter 21 and 2 Samuel chapter 24. And they're both different accounts about the same story. So we're going to kind of like shuffle between like skiing down the hill. Um, we're going to shuffle between both of these passages throughout. And so the context of this time in history is David was king and life was going really good for David. You know, the, you know those three and a half seconds where life seems to go well for you for a while? <laughs> well, for David, life, um, life was going really well for him. The borders of his kingdom were expanding he defeated the devil, <clears throat> I mean, the enemies, his enemies, his earthly enemies, and his, the bo- uh, this morning I said the bodies of his kingdom was expanding. I was like, the bodies? No. The borders of his kingdom were expanding, um, and he was, he was wealthy, prosperous, and he was loving life. But life was going a little bit too well for him. <clears throat> you know when life goes a bit too well for you? Parents will understand this. You know those moments where at your home, if you're married, and if, if you haven't got kids yet, then just beware. Here's a warning. When you're at home, and the kids are sort of playing in the background, you hear them, but then comes a moment of utter silence. You're like, oh, this is so good. You're relaxing, and it's just so good, and you realize you're able to have the kinds of conversations you can't normally have. It's amazing. But then it does. It dawns on you. You're like, uh-oh. Things are going too well. It's way too quiet. What is happening? <laughs> Things have gone, been going too well for too long. And lo and behold, you walk around some obscure corner of the house and you find the three kids huddled around an empty tin, tin tam container. Or you find lipstick all over the walls or something's completely occupied their, their attention. You know, there's times in our life where life, things can be going too well, if you like. And this is what happened to David. See, what happened is he started off his journey as being a king in complete dependence on God. God, I need you to give me the power to defeat Goliath. I need you to give me the power to defeat my enemies. I need you, God. He, he was face to face with his absolute dependence on God to come through for him. But then God answers his prayers. He defeats Goliath. He gets the girl. He gets the land. He gets the car. He gets the castle. He's like, yeah. And then when things were going too well for him, he began to move from dependence on God 
into independence from God. Where he started, rather than depending on the giver of the gift, he took the gift and said, thanks God, I'll take it from here. And he started to be independent from God and put his hope and his strength in his gift, in the gift that God had given him. And this is the context that we come into. And the scripture begins by saying in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 1, it says, Satan rose up against Israel and caused David to take a census of the people of Israel. How many people have I got? How strong am I? He started to drift from his security in God to his security in the strength of his nation, of the gift that God had given him. So David said to Joab, the commander of his army, take a census of all the people in Israel, from Beersheba in the south to Dan in the north, and bring me a report so I may know how many they are, so I might know how mighty I am and how powerful I am and how brilliant I am, so I might feel secure in what I've achieved. He drifted into independence from God. But Joab replied in verse 3 to the king, May the Lord your God let you live to see a hundred times as many people as there are now. But why, my Lord the King, do you want to do this? You know, how often has this happened in our life? Where we start off our journey with God. Maybe you don't know God today, but you might be in a desperate place where you need God. I know so many of us can start our journey. We're dependent on God to, to, um, to come through for us. We go, God save me. And he does and he moves and we begin to experience the, the benefit and the blessing of God. I know that so many people actually have, have met each other, partners have met each other and married in this church, in Everlove. I mean, Everlife. <laughs> Used to be called Everlife, Everlove before we changed to Oceans. And people would, and, and, or, or people would come, they'd encounter God, they'd, they'd, they'd get healing and God would be giving them jobs and answers to prayer and they're like, wow, God, you're amazing. Thank you. I'm going to take this now on my own and I'm going to just take that now. Thanks for that, God. And we can all be tempted to drift from dependence into independence from God. Um, and, and just the same way, it can work if things aren't going well for you. When things aren't going well for you, you can begin to go, God, you're too slow. And you take it from God rather than remaining in that place of dependence and trust in Him. Even in the gap time, you go, God, all right, I'm going to work this out now. And we begin to worry and stress and this thing just gets a hold of us and it's overwhelming, it's intoxicating and it just controls us. Either way, Satan's plan is to take us from dependence on God into a place of independence from God. Why? Because Satan wants to rob us from being attached to the source. At the end of Hosea, God says, come to me. Don't go to idols made of wooden stone. What can they do for you? They can, but God says, come to me, I'm the one who gives you your fruit. I'm the one who heals you. I'm the one, I'm the only one who can give you what you need. Come to me. And you know, we're talking about heart for the house and, and giving over and above what's called our tithes at the moment. But I wanted to just pause right now and just talk about tithing just for a moment because tithing, tithing in, in church language is a spiritual term where those that are committed to the church and God, they give 10% of their income. Whoa, 10% of their income they would give by faith to God by giving it to the church so that we can continue the work of inviting others to encounter God's love as well. And the purpose of tithing is this. It's, it's a protective measure to keep us in this place from independence so we can remain dependent on God. Saying, God, is an act of my trust in you, I could do with that 10%, let me tell you. It's like, where's it going to come from? 
But God, by faith, I give this to you, and I remain in this place of humble dependence on you. In fact, Deuteronomy 14, verse 23, it says, The purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God second in your, I mean, first in your life. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 to 10, it says, Honor the Lord by giving him the first part of your crops. Anyone growing crops? I'm not that kind of crop. Um, the first part of your, of your income. And if you do, he'll fill your barns with wheat and barley and overflow your wine vats with the finest wines. Who wants some wheat and barley in their life? Gluten-free, of course. <laughs> Honour the Lord by giving you your, your first. Not the left. In the agricultural world that the Israel, Israelites grew up in, um, they weren't guaranteed that the rains wouldn't come and destroy the rest of the harvest till somehow they'd be devoured. It was an act of faith for them to come and bring the best. Not the leftovers, not the dregs, but the best. And then Malachi 3 verse 6 takes it even deeper. Where God says to me, God says to us, or he said to the Israelites, he said, now return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we've never gone away? What do you mean, God? We're good. We're doing all the right things. But God says, should people cheat God? Yet you've cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? And God says, you've cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. In other words, you've cheated me. You know, the Bible talks about adultery being when we trust on, we commit adultery against God, where we can take away our allegiance, we can take away our affection and our desire and our dependence on God, and we can have an adulterous relationship, if you like, with stuff and things and people and job and my, I'm believing in a, just in the stock market and the strength of my bank account and I'm just, I'm just in bed with this. I'm, I'm loving, I'm giving myself to this rather than I'm giving myself to God. And so God says in verse 10, he says, bring all of the tithes. Everyone say, all of the tithes. Most of the, no, all of the tithes into the storehouse so there'll be enough food in my temple. Let me tell you, if all of us bought all of the tithes Man, imagine that. We will be so strong. We will be strong and there will be enough food at the table. I'm so sorry if you're new here for the first time and you've invited your friend. They're like, they're doing their money message. And invited my friend for the first time. No. So, sorry about that. <laughs> but you know what? This isn't a money message. This is, this is actually about something so much deeper as you're going to find out in a few moments. Bring all the tires in the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do. Said the Lord of heaven's armies, I'll open up the windows of heaven for you. I'll pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Give it a crack. Put me to the test. In verse 11, your crops will be abundant for, and get this, right? For I will rebuke the devourer for you. God will rebuke the devourer for you. I'll come back to that in a second. So that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. And your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. You know, tithing keeps us in a place of dependence. It's an antidote for materialism and getting us into independence. But tithing also is a protective measure against the devourer. Who knew that God would actually bring protection for your finance, for areas of your life through this principle of tithing? And, you know, I don't know if you're going through a challenging time at the moment uh, in terms of your finance. But I want to encourage you to depend on God through this practice in your life of tithing. And going back to the account from Samuel, and it says in 2 Samuel chapter 24, it says, That day, actually, 
think, did we miss a bit? Sorry. No, we're all good. 2 Samuel chapter 24 says, That day Gad came to David and said to him, Go up. Yeah, we missed a bit about the... Do you know what? I took screenshots of this and I missed a screenshot. So can we go to the scripture about the plague, if that's all right? Uh, The one previous to that will be awesome. That's not a plague, but it talks about abundant crops. Anyway, sorry. As a result of David's sin, what happened is God sent a plague to the land of Israel. And this plague ended up actually killing 70,000 people in the nation of Israel. There it is. God was very displeased with the census and he punished Israel for it. So the Lord sent a plague on Israel where 70,000 people were destroyed. And so that day, Gad came to David and said to him, Go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aranua the Jebusite. So here's David. He is in a completely hopeless situation. Completely hopeless situation. Because of his sin, because of what he's done in a way that has displeased God, he's found himself in a completely hopeless situation. He's got no way out. People are dying from this plague. And he needs a miracle. He needs God to come through for him. And so in that place, I love the mercy and the grace of God. God sent a guy called Gad. Everyone say Gad. Imagine being called Gad. That day, Gad came to David and said to him, he said, go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aranua, the Jebusite. So David went up and he did exactly that. He went up to do exactly what the Lord had commanded him. And I just love this picture With David, because of his own wrong choices, he found himself hemmed in and in an impossible situation. But rather than God retreating and leaving him on his own, God came and met him right in his place of need and led him on a way out. And you know what David's way out? It wasn't inventing a new vaccine against the plague. It wasn't by him working harder or coming up with a plan. It was so simple. The way out for, for David was simply to obey God, to take his next step of obedience you know that Frozen song? Do the next right <laughs> How does it go? Just do, the next, just do the next right thing. That's all you need to do. If you find yourself in a situation where you've got no way out, God in his mercy, by his spirit, will give you the wisdom and he'll peel back the curtains and he'll give you the next right thing, the next step to take, simply a step of obedience because God wants to bring freedom into your life. And get this, in verse 20, when Aaron Ewer, everyone say, Aaron Ewer. Aaron Ewer. When Aaron Ewer saw the king and his men coming towards him, he came and bowed before the king with his face to the ground. He said, why have you come, my lord, the king? Aaron Ewer asked. And David replied, I've come to buy your threshing floor and to build an altar to the lord there so that he will stop the plague. I've come to build an altar to God so he can stop the plague. David was desperate. He was in need of a miracle. And he's like, I've come ready to make a sacrifice so the plague can be stopped. And then I love Aaron Ewer's response to David in verse 22. He says, take it, my lord, the king, and use it as you wish, Aaron Ewer said. Here, here's an oxen for the burnt offering. And you can use the threshing boards and the ox yokes for wood to build a fire on the altar. He says, I'll give it all to you, your majesty, and may the Lord your God accept your sacrifice. So, man, I like Aaron Ewer. Who wants an Aaron Ewer in their life? I would like an Aaron Ewer in my life, thank you. I would like an oxen. 
How generous was he? Out of his wealth, he's like, oh, I want to I be generous to you. I want to help you make this sacrifice. You know, Aaron Ewer is the guy that every pastor prays for. I've heard of pastors that have had Aaron Ewers in their congregation. We're believing for a building that we're going to be moving into. And then there's this guy who signed a million-dollar check. I'm like, you know, I hear this story from a particular pastor around Perth. I'm like, wow, that's so inspiring, great. In my heart, I'm like, I hate you. <laughs> Send your Aaron Ewer my way, please. You know, we'd all love an Aaron Ewer that we could just make it easy for us. Here's David ready to do a sacrifice. He's about to obey God, and then he gets right there, right about to do the sacrifice, and Aaron Ewer's like, I'll pay for it. I've got the bill. I'll do your sacrifice on your behalf. I'll do the sacrifice on your behalf. But get this, if there's no personal sacrifice, there is no spiritual significance to the offering. If there's no personal sacrifice, there's no spiritual significance to the offering. Jerry Falwell says this. He says, nothing of spiritual significance comes without sacrifice. Your spirituality will always be measured by the size of your sacrifice. And Erwin Lutzer said, Those who give much without sacrifice are reckoned as having given little. In other words, there's, there's an account where Jesus saw a widow, a poor widow. She had All she had was two copper coins and she gave that into the offering that day. And Jesus said, wow, she, she has given a significant more amount and these Pharisees who were giving bags and bags of coins, they were just, oh, look how much I'm giving. What was the difference? Out of her lack, she gave everything she had. But out of their abundance, they gave a much smaller portion and there was no sacrifice to what they were giving. And then it says in verse 24 of 1 Chronicles 21, it says, But King David replied to Aaron Ewer, he said, No, I insist on buying it for the full price. For the full price, not even 10% off, for the full price. Who, who asks always for that 10% off when you go shopping? I do. Occasionally you get it. He says, for the full price, I will not take what is yours and give it to the Lord. I will not present, and get this, I will not present burnt offerings that have cost me nothing. So David gave Aaron your 600 pieces of gold in payment for the threshing floor, which is like three quarters of a million dollars worth. And David built an altar there to the Lord and sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings. And when David prayed, the Lord answered him by sending fire from heaven to burn up the offering on the altar. And then the Lord answered his prayer for the land and the plague on Israel was stopped because of David's sacrifice. And so I've got four observations that I'd like to make out of this account. And the first one is this. David didn't want to cheapen his worship. He didn't want to cheapen his worship by outsourcing it to someone else. Can you just worship God for me? Thanks. He didn't want to cheapen his... Sometimes we can cheapen our worship. It's a bit like the difference between takeaway food and like home-cooked food. Like Takeaway food is pretty good, right? But they slap it together. They slap it together in a couple of minutes and they give it to you. It's great. It's speedy. But the quality, yeah, not so. But who likes to do some cooking at home? Mate, uh, we, we have been to some nice places for dinner and, um, and, and when people take time to marinate the meats or the vegetables and, they, and they, they take time to get the spices out, they sacrifice hours preparing the food and the, the depths of flavours that you can get, 
by putting so much more time into something is so significantly more tasty than takeaway food. And it's the same when it can come to do with our worship. Sometimes we can worship God with like plastic diamonds rather than real diamonds. But God invites us to worship him with a sacrifice. And David refused to let someone else pay what God had called him to pay. Often we might see an easy way out of the sacrifice. And so the first key is this. David did not want to cheapen his worship. The second point is this, is the miracle is released on the other side of sacrifice. The miracle that David was after was released on the other side of the sacrifice. Not before the sacrifice, but after the sacrifice. First, David took a step of obedience, and then the miracle came. And so, <clears throat> for David, he, when he went to the threshing floor, when God told him to go to, go to the fresh to the threshing, to the threshing floor. Thank you. When David went to the threshing floor, that was his first step of obedience. So God told him, go to the threshing floor. So he said, I will thresh. And so he went to the threshing floor. But then he had a choice. Either he's going to pay for the sacrifice on his own or he's going to allow Aaron Ewer to do it. And you know what? David had a choice. It was either partial obedience or full obedience. For some of us here, we can begin in our journey in obeying God. Okay, God, I'm going to obey you. We get excited about it. We get emotionally hyped up about it. But then when we hit against the actual cost and the sacrifice, it might actually cost us something. Then we're like, whoa, 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 hold on. Back up. Back the truck up. Back the truck up. When it might cost us something personally. And Aaron knew I didn't realize that he'd be robbing David of a miracle because David knew that the only way the miracle would be released is if he made a personal sacrifice to God. You know, sometimes we want others to do what God has called us to do. We want others to pay the sacrifice that God has actually called us to do. And it's like the same thing when we think about our church. You know, our church is, my church is my responsibility. Not Aaron Ewer's responsibility. Everyone's saying, not Aaron Ewer. My responsibility and then, you know what, as we each take our own responsibility with what God has asked us and invited us to, to sacrificially give in obedience to Him, then together we can say our, our world is now our responsibility and we can make a difference in the world around us. The third point is this, is the house of God is built on sacrifice. The house of God is built on sacrifice. And so, Aaron Ewer, at his place where the threshing floor was, this became the site of the temple of God. And so Aaron Ewer's threshing floor became the physical place where the next generation, where David's son, King Solomon, actually built a physical temple which the presence of God will one day fulfill. The presence of God will one day fill. And it was built in the place of sacrifice. You know, for Jess and I, when we were praying about planting Everlife Church as it was back in the day, we really felt like God had said this to us, that God said to us, He said, this church will be built on sacrifice. And you know, Jess and I, I think we told it a few times, for us, we actually took what we had saved up to put towards a house deposit over there, and we actually spent that, we put our three kids in the car, we drove across to Nullarbor, with, with not much, Jess had to go from part-time work to full-time work, um, we didn't have that much family support here in Perth. 
is a great sacrifice, not only to us, but for so many other people here that help to sacrifice their time and their energy, their finance to see this thing lifted off, off the floor. And it's the same deal for many of us. You know, Brian Houston actually said about Hillsong Church, and so I inserted the word Oceans Church. Brian Houston said about Oceans Church, Oceans Church is not built on the gifts and the talents of a few, but on the sacrifices of many. The sacrifices of many. And this is what God invites all of us to do, to say, God, I don't want to give you cheap worship. I don't want to give you plastic worship. I don't want to give you token worship. You know, I just want to really encourage us as well when we, when we come on, on Sundays to church. Let's not give God our, our leftovers. Let's come 15 minutes early, 20 minutes early. Get your free coffee up there and come in, be expectant, come hungry, ready to encounter God rather than the casual approach we can sometimes, oh yeah, cool. But let's come in expectant that we're going to encounter the presence of God because we want to give God He's worthy. He's worthy of our worship. And then number four is this, is that salvation comes through sacrifice. You see, this site, Aaron Ewer's flesh, threshing floor, Aaron Ewer's threshing floor, that became the site of the temple of God where God's presence dwelt. But that, that hill, that site actually became the place where Jesus was crucified. That place became, the, on that very hill was the place where the greatest sacrifice had taken place, and that was the sacrifice of Jesus' own life that Kelsey so beautifully shared about earlier on. See, David's sacrifice was what stopped the plague. When David gave a great sacrifice, that was what stopped the plague that was killing people. And it was Jesus' sacrifice on that hill, when he sacrificed his life, that stopped the plague of sin, stopped the plague of death, Stop the plague of the enemy's work in our life because of the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us. And because of Jesus' sacrifice, now we can enter into the greatest miracle, which is to know God. And so we together are invited in this season before God to say, God, what are you, what are you calling me to do? What, are, what sacrifices are you calling me to make before you? And I just really believe that as we each before God, we ask God, not what Aaron, you are sacrificing, not what someone else is sacrificing, but God, what, what are you calling me to obediently give to you, to this house, for this heart for the house offering? What are you calling me to give to you? Because I just believe that as we make a sacrificial step of obedience and offering to God, that on the back of that, that I just believe God will release miracles in not only our lives, but He will release a miracle in this house. And they will see many, many people come to know Him. And so why don't we just all stand together tonight. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, why don't we just all close our eyes together right now. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we just thank you so much for your great sacrifice for us, Lord. And Lord Jesus, we come to you, Lord God, and we're sorry for the times where we've depended, Lord God. We've moved from dependence on you, Lord, into independence from you, Lord. Lord God, we ask your forgiveness for those times, Lord Jesus, where we've taken the gift, Lord God, and we've run off on our own, Lord, and we've forgotten 
that you are the gift giver, Lord God, that you are the source of every blessing, Lord God. You are the source of comfort. You're our source of strength in this life, Lord Jesus. And Lord God, so tonight, Lord God, with open hands and an open heart, Lord God, we pray that you would speak to us tonight, Lord. Would you speak to us tonight, Lord God? Would you speak to every single person in this place, Lord? Why don't you just lift up your hands to God right now? Lord God, I pray, Lord God, for every single person in this place, God, that as we consider, Lord God, what to give for heart for the house, Lord, what we can give sacrificially, Lord, towards you, Lord, what we can give, Lord Jesus, in order to see, Lord, a miracle, the greatest miracle unleashed, Lord God, that many, many people will come to know you, Lord God. And Lord Jesus, I just thank you for an outbreak of miracles in this place, Lord God, as we move again from independence to dependence on you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.